Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You got to alter. You got to evolve, um, you know, as a pro. And uh, I think more so now uh, my training... Uh, Kind of focuses on you know what what I what I need to get better at uh, what my defici- deficiencies are uh, where I need to get stronger. I would say the main thing I'm focused on this year my training make sure my knees 100. percent But do you think you have anything to prove? Um, I think every year we got something to prove. But you personally though, I'm just yeah. Ezekiel Elliott, he definitely has something to prove. Look, the contract is what saved him. He would not be a member of the Dallas Cowboys right now, barring a dramatic reduction in pay. He did the contract the year that he held out, and we advocated it. Yes, we did. Get your money while you can. It's up to the team to figure it out on the back end, but the guarantees vest a year in advance. His salary this year is fully guaranteed, invested in 2021. That's the way you do a contract. You guarantee the money into a year beyond the current one and it ties the team's hand and they're stuck they're stuck i tried to ask stephen jones earlier this year some something along the lines of hypothetically or but you know he wouldn't take the cheese but the bottom line is he would not be on the team right now there's no way look at his rush yards per game last year you can't justify giving him the money that he's due to make if it wasn't already fully guaranteed no it's you know again we advocated yes for ezekiel out to sit out and pay you know and sit there and you know, you deserve to be paid now. But can we also advocate and say that Dallas is way too generous and, like, gave them too good of a contract? I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that. They did not find middle ground. They did not. And they, they are paying him still for what he did early in his career. He's nowhere near in the class of the top running back conversation in football. I have so much respect for this guy, and I don't like talking like this about guys like this. I feel bad sometimes for running backs in the NFL. They're the freakiest guys on the planet for the first 25, 26 years of their life, and then they play four or five years in the NFL, and all of a sudden they're like, man, I don't know if I'm the freakiest guy in the running back room anymore. And that's what happens, and that's what I would argue with with Dallas. To me, the contract itself a little bit hurts the football team. 
because they're always trying to justify him playing and him being in the lineup and him getting carries. He's the second-best running back on their football team. Again, I don't feel proud saying that, but they leave yards and plays on the field throughout the year because they leave Ezekiel Elliott on the field because they want to justify $15 million a year for him. He's not as good as Tony Pollard. Pollard's the better running back on the football team. The stats say that. My eye says that. The film says that. Whatever you want to say. And that's where it stinks. But, yeah, that's part of the problem why Dallas has had some salary cap issues and all of that. And uh, it's unfortunate. But, yeah, they're, they're stuck here with them right now. You spotted it a couple of years ago. Once you get through the front level, he couldn't turn that, that 15-yard gain into a 50-yard exactly gain. Exactly right. He, exactly too many runs with the meat left on the bone, to your point, is what we used to Here's say. the reality. Yeah. Here's where the Cowboys got themselves into trouble. They thought they were going to be able to cozy up the Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, throw an arm around them, and talk them into doing some sort of a team-friendly deal. And they, they overplayed their hand with both guys. And it blew up on them with both guys. Dak Prescott's contract... Better than any of the others that have been done. Maybe even better than Deshaun Watson's because it forces the Cowboys back to the table after only three seasons right. at $40 million per year. Right. And Watson, especially under the circumstances, we'll talk about that coming up, but Watson's contract, probably better. But I would have taken Prescott's over Mahomes, Prescott's over Josh Allen's, Prescott's over anyone's except maybe Deshaun Watson's. And it's all because they, they screwed around. They waited too long and thought they could talk him into taking less than, than what he was worth, and they ended up paying him even more. Same thing with Elliott. They forced the holdout. Instead of just paying him and offering him something that would have avoided all of that. And once he dug in, they, they were stuck. And, you know, the broader issue, too, Michael Carter of the Jets spoke about this last week. I wrote an item about it over the weekend, yeah. how running backs are underpaid in Carter's estimation especially as we see receivers get more and more money. But the difference is receivers aren't getting banged around. They're getting hit by safeties yeah, they and can quarterbacks. Last. Right. Running backs are getting hit by defensive linemen and linebackers. There's only so much you can take before it all changes. Christian McCaffrey, after three years, Panthers give him a huge contract. He's played 10 total games since then. It's not his fault. It's the position. It's the position. It is something that results in injuries and ineffectiveness and just overall your body can't do it anymore. You're older. Your, your, your body is older than it should be because it's been beaten around so much. And that, that's why. And that, that's why you have to be careful. It's, it's a tough analysis. You want to keep that great running back, but you know the end is coming. And, yeah. and for Ezekiel Elliott, the end of, a, of being a high-end running back is already come and gone. Agreed, right. Agreed. You're right. I mean, really, ultimately, and, that, and again, this is part of the Cowboys' problem, He's he's the guy you would want to be. Oh, this is our second guy. This is our this is our backup running back who comes in and gives us a little juice. And man, look how hard he runs. And this is our backup. And you got to deal with him for a few minutes. But you know the point you brought up, and that the point I've been trying to make a little bit over the last two years really is yes. You know, as far as what he's being paid, um, yes, there's not. It doesn't meet the the results on the field there's there is too many plays where I go oh six yard gain damn that should have been 25 yards if that was one of the top five or six running backs that would have been you know oh 12 yard gain he just had to make that one guy miss and it would have been 60 yards doesn't ever do it that to me is the difference between the great running backs and yeah Mike I think you're spot on I mean I think we're you're seeing there's a reason you know it, 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 I think teams are starting to get to the point where 
it, it doesn't really matter. Maybe, you know, a running back will change our thought every now and then, but you almost got to think about every three years we got to draft a running back. And maybe every two years if you're really a running football team. I think you're seeing like the Patriots, the 49ers with Shanahan. They're kind of going that way where they're going, well, we're just going to draft one every year, you know, because guy, two guys can get hurt in the same year. We need to keep our running offense here, you know, and, and these guys kind of fall by the waysides every three or four years. So that's why you have to do it. And I think that's going to continue to be a trend. And I think that is the biggest difference between what Michael Carter, the Jets is trying to say, and you're saying is yeah, receivers, they can de- double digits part of their career. And we still go, damn, they're really good still. Whoa, that guy's in year 10 and 12. He's really good. Running backs, when does that happen over the time here? Frank Gore, Adrian Peterson, Emmett Smith, maybe Derrick Henry can do it because he's a freak of nature. But, like, we're talking about four or five guys that have gotten to that second and third contract and still kind of look good at the running back position over the last 20 years. It's, It's very limited. And Derrick Henry is averaging twelve and a half million dollars per year. Exactly. So contract. they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. You know, take the cheese to your point there. Yeah. And and he missed nine games last year. That's right. Th- th- that's the problem. Yep. It's the nature of the position. You're going to make the investment in players that are more likely to be available to play. And it's not a criticism of the players. It's just an inherently dangerous position relative to the other big ticket positions on offense let's look at the Cowboys offense broadly highest scoring team in the league last year where would you loosely rank their current weaponry obviously Amari Cooper gone they already are touting CeeDee Lamb as a better number one receiver than Amari Cooper was collectively when you consider they have Dak Prescott Ezekiel Elliott Tony Pollard CeeDee Lamb Michael Gallup James Washington new arrival via Pittsburgh Dalton Schultz at tight end where would you put them in the league? Are they still a top third unit to you? I, I think they are. I do. I, I think I look at that and go, it's still an impressive group there. There's no question. I mean, yeah, they lost Cedric Wilson and, and Amari Cooper. So what? I mean, Gallup's going to be coming back from injury. I know that. But, man, <clears throat> he's about as good as number two receiver as you're going to find in football. And I think he could go on teams and, and some teams and you go, well, he's our number one. He's legit. So that that's pretty damn good. Dalton Schultz is a hell of a tight end. He can do it all. And even though I know we said what he said about Ezekiel Elliott, he's effective. And I really like Tony Pollard, who's extremely explosive. I mean, maybe the most explosive guy on their offense with the ball in his hand. So offensive line, a little overrated, but still good. So I, I don't know, Mike, I'm, I'm, I still think top third for sure. You, you feel that way? Yeah, I think the offensive line is the key here. That's where we've kind of seen some issues. And we, we do that all the time. We do it all the time. Yeah. Team has a great offensive line. And, and if it's, like, spectacular, then we really notice it. But for the most part, the stars overcome the conversation of, well, they got a pretty good offensive line. And when they have a bad offensive line, the stars are the ones that get the criticism because they don't have time to operate. They don't yeah, have holes to run right. through. They don't have an opportunity to throw the ball. But how that offensive line performs that they're kind of trying to retool on the fly, I think that's going to go a long way toward allowing Dak Prescott and company to fully unlock the potential of the offense, but I still think they're top third. Are they top five? Mm. It's all going to come down yeah. to that offensive line. I yeah, think. I know. I don't think I could go that way. And I think the offensive line, as we discussed a little bit towards the end of the the twenty twenty one season, to me was the part that was you know, certainly an issue with their team. 
their offense is good. I didn't never looked at it and went, oh my gosh, wow, it's so special and creative and it's amazing. It's got everything you need, certainly, but the running game needs to happen a little bit. That that's to me where it fell off a little bit at times last year, where there was no threat, they couldn't really run consistently, and then they had to become too much of a pass happy football team. And to me, you know, it's just not that creative of an offense to where you can just go, oh, they're just going to drop back and throw, you know, for 4,800 yards every year and win all the games that way. No, I, I don't think they're that, that, that talented or that explosive on that side of the ball to just win that way. We are uh, moving toward the top half and squarely into the top half, the Chris Sims top 40 quarterback countdown. We will continue that next with with one quarterback in particular that uh, depending upon what mood I'm in, I will either agree or disagree with the placement of of that specific player where he lands. You'll find out next. Not that you need to know when PFT Live continues right after this. Kirk Cousins has pushed himself to a higher level, and I think it's going to continue. Oh, baby. I can't believe I just saw you pick Kirk Cousins. I mean, the love-hate continues. I love him. He's your guy. Follow him. I love him not. Kirk Cousins is kind of a dork. I love him. I don't think the gap right now between Kirk Cousins and Patrick Mahomes is as broad as people would think it is. I love him not. Shanahan says you've got the right quarterback there. Not everybody can see that. <laughs> He's right about that. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> it's Kirk yes. Cousins. Welcome back. Uh, All right. Good to see you. Yes. Have a seat. What's Grab up, a man? microphone. Let's, let's just rag on Florio or this whole He's segment. He's been looking okay? forward to this from the moment that they said he'll be joining us. He will not let me hear the end. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to get him all fired up. He's going to beat you up before he leaves. Kirk, welcome back. How are you? Thank you. There he is, Kirk there Cousins. Is. Were you? What? What it comes in? Did you get in my secret stash and smoke all of it when you made that comment that Mahomes and Kirk Cousins were similar or not that different? Was, what were you doing? What were you context. smoking? What were you on? It was. It was. <laughs> my words were taken out of context. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. And actually, it was. It was at, during a stretch where he was on fire. Phenomenal. Yes, I know. He was phenomenal. Right. And uh, he's phenomenal enough to be at number 16 on the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown, right smack dab in the middle of the pack. And I yes. think that's fair. I think Thank that's you. fair. Oh, that's well done. How did they, how did they see my tattoos? <laughs> uh, but there it is. There it is. Uh, Chris, that's not Chris Sims. This is Kirk Cousins, number 16 on the Chris Sims Top 40 Quarterback Countdown. I, I, I'm a firm believer that and, – and he's perfectly in the middle of the pack. Yeah. Because there are things he does really well, mm -hmm. but there are important things that would elevate you to the top 10 that he just can't do. When the play that's called goes to hell, he's done. The best quarterbacks can make chicken salad. Kirk Cousins crumbles and falls. He doesn't have the athleticism or the creativity to run away from pressure. Yeah, That's what point. happens, and we see it here. When he can't, he can't throw on the run. He can't make things happen. He doesn't know what to do. It's just live to play another day. And and the blocking has something to do with it, but when the block the blocking's not always going to be there, and those plays are the ones that can kill you. Those are that that one play per game when the blocking isn't there, and Kirk Cousins does something stupid with a ball is the thing that's the difference between potentially winning and losing. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree with you. I think you know that my banner statement when I would talk to, when I start off with you know Kirk Cousins is the ultimate system quarterback. <clears throat> that's what he is. 
He is perfect. When you give him a system and give him a ton of advantages within that system and all these coaching points, he could take advantage of all of it. He's very smart. He can process it quickly. That's where he's special. And to your point, when the clock, the, the pocket's clean, you could see. I mean, he can make throws all over the football field. He has a good arm. It's not a great arm, but he throws a pretty deep ball. And he's certainly not afraid to push the ball down the field a little bit. His ability to read coverages and react, read, diagnose, you know, get ready, pull the trigger, throw the football. When he knows what he's seeing and he's protected, he's as quick as with some of that stuff as there is in the game. You know, you see here, touch, identifying one-on-one matchups, being aggressive that way. That's one of the things I do love about him. He, oh, you're going to be one-on-one against Justin Jefferson? I'm not going to let you get away with that. I'm going to take it downfield. We're going to go after you. Does the same thing with Adam Thielen when he's in those situations. See here the tight end. That's what I love about it. But there's also times within the normal rhythm of the offense, too, and this Dallas game would be the perfect example where I'd go, wait, there." when I went back and watched all throws, and one of the things I don't love is like he's aggressive, but there's times where – it's not aggressive where it's like he's a little bit where I want to go, ooh, the top quarterbacks in football would have made, you know, would have put their foot down on the guy's neck here. But like to the point you brought this up during the year and this kind of jumped out to me when I was watching all the throws back last week was the fact of like the Dallas game and some other games where there's plays there and there's people open. But he was going to play that day to go, wait, Dak Prescott's not playing, so I'm not going to take any chances. Well, guess what happened? Dallas hung around and they won the game because Kirk Cousins didn't be as aggressive as you like. So you've said a lot of this stuff, Mike. You really have. That, yeah, go ahead. That's the tension. That's the tension that was there between Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer. Zimmer wanted him to be more aggressive. Yeah. And Cousins, for example, that Dallas game is the best example, the microcosm of the dysfunction in the relationship. Cousins made the calculation that I don't need to take the big chances in this game because they don't have Dak Prescott. We should be able to win it. And Zimmer, apoplectic, that Cousins wouldn't go out there and seize the opportunity to put 50 points on the board. Yes. Dak Prescott's not here. Let's go, let's, go, let's go be the franchise quarterback because the other team's franchise quarterback isn't there. So how will that change? With Kevin O'Connell, yeah. first offensive coach the Vikings right. have had since they fired Brad Childress. It took him a decade to get over having Brad Childress around to go back to an offensive coach. But O'Connell can only make this guy better. He's not going to make him worse. Agreed. Agreed. Well, you, you know, you said it. I mean, the reason he's 16, yeah, the system, when it's there and everything's working, he's great. You know, individually, if the system fails, he's not going to make plays off schedule or be like, oh, the O-line's banged up and they're not as good today or we're missing a receiver. Don't worry, I'll take over. That's that's not going to happen. And that, that's okay. There's not, not everybody's capable of that. But, you know, again, I think to what you heard or you, you referenced Justin Jefferson a little bit and the quote he had in the paper last week in Minnesota, listen, that offense is not overly creative. It was not. It's pretty simple what they've been doing up there. So I think this is going to give – Kirk Cousins, more avenues, more answers. Oh, wait, this defense is playing this? Oh, O'Connell programmed me. When they do that, I'm going to check to this play, and now we're going to screw them off, screw them over over here and do that. So I think there's going to be more answers and more things for Kirk Cousins to take advantage in within the offense. You know, So that that's where it's going to be good. He does throw the ball well as far as like when people are bearing down on him. He'll stand in there and take shots. I like that about him. You know, but when he tries to put it to like the pedal of the metal and throw lasers, he can lose control of the football. He's got a long delivery. 
and he doesn't have a lot of arm angles. He doesn't. You don't see Kirk Cousins making awkward throws or doing anything like that. That's not part of his game. But if Kevin O'Connell can set up a system and an offense a little bit like Cousins had with the Commanders back in those days with McVay and Shanahan, there's a reason those guys love Kirk Cousins because they're the kind of guys that we're talking about. Hey, my offense, I got a million answers for you. You just as long as you can learn and keep up with me mentally, we're going to be tough to beat. And I think that's where O'Connell can up Kirk Cousins' game a little bit, and they can be better on offense for your football team there in Minnesota, Mike. I think that desire to get the most out of Cousins is the main reason why Kevin O'Connell is the head coach and not Jim Harbaugh, frankly. Yeah, maybe. I hear you. I don't, I, I, I'm convinced of it. So Harbaugh and in- Cousins does not seem a match made in heaven just on paper, I'm just going to say. I don't know. That doesn't seem like it works. I don't know. Maybe it would have. I'm not. But O'Connell – I think is right along the lines of that McVeigh and Shanahan where they're going to be nerds together. Hey, this guy, his right toe is over here. That means it's cover four. If his left toe is over here, it's covered. They're going to be all over that stuff. They'll be a perfect match, and I think that's where maybe Justin Jefferson and company could be excited about the offense and Kirk Cousins this year. Landing one spot higher on the list than Kirk Cousins as we move to number 15, the Titans quarterback. When we last saw him, three interceptions in a loss to the Bengals in the divisional round. But Ryan Tannehill coming in at number 15, there would be plenty out there who would disagree vehemently with you, Chris, because we have short memories. Yes, right. On what we've seen most recently. And Tannehill wasn't impressive in that game. And he opened up a few weeks ago about how he needed therapy to get through it and get past it. It's an inspiring message for anyone that's going through adversity. But the reality is the guy continues to be – a pretty good quarterback. Yes. We like like the coaches we talked about earlier that get taken for granted. Yeah. We just kind of take for granted the fact that Ryan Tannehill just keeps going and going. Ten years into his career, he just keeps going. A hundred percent. You know, I made my banner statement about Kirk Cousins. My Ryan Tannehill statement's a little bit like what you're talking about there. And the first thing if I had to say to defend the guy or just like is go, the guy is better than we give him credit for. He is. <laughs> We just talk about Kirk Cousins, you know, needing a system. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill needs a system, but Tannehill can do stuff to make the system better when it's not working. He makes a lot of more a lot more big throws and big plays down the field than you realize. It's not a quarterback friendly offense. They're, they are run the ball, and then it's, hey, Tannehill, can you throw a 20-yard completion? And then we're going to run the ball seven more times. And then we want you – so he doesn't always get it to get in rhythm and a bunch of screen bullcrap passes. All his throws are what you're seeing right here. They're usually powered down the field. Uh, and he is a pretty special down-the-field thrower that way. He can throw within a tight pocket with people around him. He can shorten his motion and sneaky throw at sidearm and stuff like that. And then the athlete himself, as you see here. And this is a guy that he can turn the corner and run 50 yards down the sideline or do this right here. And that's that's where, you know, that's Josh Allen-ish there. That's, where, that's why he's a spot ahead of Kirk Cousins. He does have that ability to do some of that stuff there. He's a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more of a playmaker, and, you know, again, to, he was – I saw maybe a drop in arm power last year, and maybe he didn't manage the games as well as years before. But to your point, Mike, and what you're saying, let's not forget, too, you know, he's done really well. The best player on their team and the way the offense is orchestrated, Derrick Henry missed nine games. A.J. Brown was hurt and in and out of the lineup a ton last year. Julio Jones was never available. It's not like he was sitting there with a, a star cast of characters around him, and they still were the number one seed. 
So I know he left a bad taste in our mouth, and he had a few mistakes, but there's still a lot of good in Ryan Tannehill's game for sure, and they're still dangerous with him at quarterback. And they emerged as the number one seed in a conference that was chock exactly. full of great teams. Right, right. And that last play, Matt Casey was saying this earlier. I, I, I'll attribute the thought to him, and yeah. he's right. That last play, if Josh Allen does that, if Patrick Mahomes does that, yeah, if we all Rogers go, whoa. That, it is on a loop. Right. It is constant. It is viral. But it's Ryan Tannehill, so it doesn't even doesn't even register. Makes more off-schedule plays than people realize. It's, it's one of the things I got underlined in my notes here. You know, His running is a real threat, but his ability when the play does break down and they run a play-action pass and, oh, there's only two guys on the route, he can get out of the pocket and make things happen. It's one of those things you actually go, you should do it more. You're, you're very fast. You're capable of doing those type of things. So there's a lot of good about him. We need to back off him a little bit, all right? He's mentoring Malik Willis, all right, and he's still really good, all right. So there, there's, you know, again, he he had a few bad spots last year. He didn't play his best ball, but this is still, I think, a high quality starter in the NFL for sure. But that's the problem. Your team, week in and week out, gradually climbs to the number one seed, and then it all comes falling down in three hours on a Saturday afternoon in Nashville. What went wrong in that playoff game that resulted in three interceptions for Tannehill? Yeah, it, the staring down of receivers, and thank you leading me down this road, because this would be probably the negative that I watched the most. Because you know, he's aggressive and he wants to throw the ball down the field. So sometimes when a play is scheduled, like here, play action pass, two guys out in the route, you know, all week in practice, he's just going, man, this is this place for this coverage. We're going to screw them over. And yes, you can see here, eyes are on the guy never really looks anywhere else but the receiver and then jams the ball in there. And then, of course, this is the most egregious of all. Interception one and three of this game were both bad. This was really bad, though, because it's 20 seconds left in the game. The Titans had control of the football game once again. The Bengals were basically incapable of moving the ball at that point. You know, Joe Burrow was getting sacked all the time, and that was one thing we haven't seen from Tannehill over the last few years is him – force balls or make those type of mistakes for a Mike Vrabel football team. So those was some of the negatives there. But, damn, there's still a lot of good with Ryan Tannehill, and he's better than people give him credit for. That really is the challenge, though, when you've had that special season and you're on the ropes at home in the divisional yeah. round and you're expected to win and you feel the weight of the right? entire season yes. and everyone in the organization. And that's why he went into that dark place. Can you imagine going into the locker room after the game and – even though everyone said all the right things, Ryan Tannehill is going to be convinced that it's his fault. Yes, that's what that happens. He's the reason the why does. they lost the game. Right. And and you know, that that's that's how football works. The quarterback gets too much credit when things go well and too much blame when things don't. And I would feel responsible like if I just hadn't thrown three interceptions, we win the game. So uh, it's it's tough, and and you try to find a way to use that as fuel for this year when Derrick Henry is healthy, uh, even though A.J. Brown's gone and Julio Jones is gone. They, they've got to find a way to keep going. Um, so do you think they'll work in Malik Willis? I don't. Kind of what we thought maybe the 49ers would do yeah. with Trey Lance right. last year? I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think, again, this is a really good football team. I think Malik Willis is a guy that you just, you know, let him sit back there. As we talked about, he's a gifted runner, but not like Trey Lance or Justin Fields, where, again, I would bet you Ryan Tannehill's faster than Malik Willis. I think he's one that you just let him sit back and, you know, continue to play football. He's very raw, like we talked about. 
and and let him learn from Ryan Tannehill, learn the right way to play ball here. But I, I don't imagine him having like a package of plays or anything like that this year. Well, uh, we'll but if it falls apart, it Mike, I mean, if we get to week four or five and it's like one and four and Tannehill's not playing good. You know, we like we talked about they during did, the draft. They did that to Marcus Mariota. That's what I mean. They, they put him on notice. You're, he's on notice with a guy like Malik Willis who, hey, we know a lot of people looked at him as a first-round talent. He's got some attributes. He's got a big arm. You know, so if it falls apart and it's not going well, he, he is definitely in danger of being supplanted by, you know, the new fresh guy in town. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, Baker Mayfield was supplanted by Deshaun Watson. When will we see Deshaun Watson? You could make the argument that certain aspects of the Watson defense are unraveling before our eyes based upon an unfortunate comment made by his lawyer on Friday. We'll get you up to speed on that when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Lawsuit number 24 is expected to be filed today against Deshaun Watson, his lawyer, Tony Busby told Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer that on Friday. Friday, an eventful day for the case. It started with Rusty Harden and Leah Graham, the two main lawyers representing Deshaun Watson in these 23, soon-to-be 24 civil cases, doing an extended interview on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. And at the end of the interview, Rusty Harden, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically what he said. Hey, look, everybody needs to remember that and he used the term happy ending. What he means is a massage that has a consensual sexual encounter at the end of it, that that in and of itself isn't illegal as long as the massage therapist consents and you aren't paying extra for that sexual service. Those comments went viral. They triggered a reaction. He ultimately issued a statement trying to clean up the mess that he had created by saying what he said. Because what it does, Chris... And we're not going to spend a ton of time on this because I think everybody finally understands where this case is evolving to. I think Deshaun Watson has no choice but to admit. And I think his lawyer essentially was flagging that issue on Friday. That when it's time to try these cases, it will be acknowledged by Deshaun Watson that he did hire a stream of massage therapists, 24 who ultimately sued him, another 18 who vouched for him, hoping, expecting, anticipating, wondering if these things would become consensual sexual encounters and trying to engineer that outcome. And when Rusty Harden says, that's not illegal, that's not a violation of anyone's rights, it's not illegal, it's not a crime to do something that makes someone uncomfortable. Right. That speaks to Intent, the inescapable. Though, right? I be exactly. The pattern. Right. The pattern. Right. When, when you set up the massage on Instagram, 
Are you looking for a massage? Right. Are you really looking for that? Or are you looking for a massage that becomes something else? And, you know, here's here's the fundamental problem. It clearly wasn't okay with the vast majority of these individuals who didn't engage in the activity. Exactly. Rusty Harden's trying to create this impression that this is just kind of the way it is. Well, you know, it happens. Well, the problem is your guy tried to make it happen. And with all but three of these plaintiffs, nothing happened, which means they didn't want it to happen. They didn't want it to, yes, right. So it gives credibility to their claim that he did something that left them offended, that left them scarred, that left them traumatized. His effort to cause this thing to take a turn toward a sexual encounter crossed the line with them, as evidenced by the fact that they didn't follow him across that line. The mere fact that they didn't engage in it is evidence that they were offended by the effort to get them to go to that place. And that's why, look, and and maybe they're doing it because they have to do it, because they know there's no way they're going to be able to prove otherwise. But, man. I don't know how that was any good at all. I mean, that that to me makes no sense. Like, yeah, I don't see... Like you're literally again, public opinion, court of public opinion in a real court. I don't see how that comment makes. He's trying to normalize it. He's trying to normalize. I guess so. I think the goal is the goal is to start, and and I'm not defending his strategy, but it could be if there's any method to the madness by talking about it and talking about it and talking about it and continuing to stick to your argument. At some point. It becomes normalized. A dynamic we've seen in our political life since somebody took a ride down the escalator seven years ago this month. If you say it enough, you repeat it enough, as outlandish as it is when you first hear it, it's like, you know, getting used to a hot bathtub. You eventually get used to it. Maybe that's what Rusty Harden's trying to do. But I think at the end of the day, that's what the defense is going to be. That it's there's nothing wrong with getting a massage and hoping that it becomes a consensual sexual encounter. And there's nothing wrong with trying to make that happen. That's going to be the defense. And these people weren't genuinely offended at the time based upon their behavior, based upon their text messages. They're going to get into the micro specifics of how everyone reacted and what they said. And that's what they want the media to do. See, they want us to be their surrogates in the court of public opinion that attack the credibility of every one of these claims. They want us to say, well, this person's story isn't holding up, or this person's story. Well, they have access to all the deposition transcripts. If there's something out there that undermines the credibility of these individuals, they need to publicize it, just like Tony Busby is doing with the things that hurt Deshaun Watson. So, uh, look, I'm I'm trying to be objective and fair here, but I have to react to the evidence that becomes available. And if they're going to make the argument that Deshaun Watson – saw nothing wrong and there is nothing wrong with getting I'm saying this is their position I'm not agreeing with it but there's nothing wrong with getting the massages and hoping they turn sexual or trying to make them turn sexual you're walking into a bear trap with that one I think you're you're walking into a lengthy suspension and it's going to be harder to win the civil cases if that's your position agree to me the biggest thing is just the the public perception uh, the NFL, just uh, they're putting the NFL with those comments. You're putting the NFL in a t- tougher spot. To me, again, there's just things that, like, if the NFL comes down too easily on Deshaun Watson, it's comments like this they're going to get thrown back into their face. So that that's where I, I let, let's flip it I around. Get let's it. flip it around. Yeah, and and you know what? 
people have have asked me, why is the NFL taking so long? The NFL likes to wait as long as possible because they don't want to act prematurely because yeah. there could be some development that, that, that causes them either not to have to act at all or makes their decision easier. And think about this. I hadn't, I hadn't really considered it this way until just now. What Rusty Harden did on Friday, what he said makes it easier for the NFL to impose a lengthy suspension. If Roger Goodell, you know, why are they delaying? Yes. Well, well, maybe they're delaying because they don't know what to do. Maybe they're delaying because Roger Goodell has a faction of people in the league office that think Deshaun Watson should not set foot on a football field until these 24 cases are over, that he should be put on paid leave until these cases are resolved and then suspended without pay. There are people in the league office who believe that. So if he's trying to work his way through this balancing act where you're going to have people who are mad at you if you're too aggressive in disciplining Deshaun Watson. You've got people who are mad at you if you aren't aggressive enough. Now something happens. Something is said by Rusty Harden, acknowledging the mindset that makes it easier to suspend him for a full year, if that's what the commissioner's thinking of. I, I, between that and the Trevor Bauer thing, I just I think that this thing is – going badly for Deshaun Watson in the court of public opinion, which Definitely. means it's going to go badly for him in the court of Roger Goodell. Definitely. I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm like, there's no way he's playing this year. There's no way. Like, does the NFL really want to deal with that? I mean, it, okay, so even if he gets suspended, let's say, six games, I mean, week nine or ten, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's still going to be, it's going to be a huge story. You're going to have people. I wouldn't be shocked if he's playing on the field and all that if more people don't come out of the woodworks here with this thing. You know, again, just because they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's playing. I got to speak up about the way I was mistreated. I, I, I just to me, I just I don't see it. And, it, you know, the NFL wants to talk about the shield and all that protecting the shield. Man, I don't know. It's not a good look when we're talking about the highest paid player in football, the best contract in football halfway through the year. Oh, yeah, it has 24 civil cases uh, coming up on the radar, too. Oh, yeah, great, great. That's that's good look for the league. That's where I look at it and just go, like, I just I would be shocked. I'd be shocked if he plays football this year at this point. Let me make one last point before we take a break, because what Rusty Harden and Leah Graham have been doing in recent weeks is to try to turn the tables onto Tony Busby, the lawyer representing the 24 women, 23 suits, a 24th coming. And he's been like a Pied Piper, and he's used social media to recruit more clients. And it's all about him getting on TV and him enriching himself by having all of these meritless claims. They claim, they argue that individually these claims have no merit. But Tony Busby used his social media platform, and he worked the media to get these people to come out of the woodwork. Okay, here's my problem with that argument. Turn on your TV. You can't go 10 minutes without seeing a commercial trying to get somebody to make some claim against someone, whether you use some product, whether it's a weed eater or talcum powder, asbestos, been injured by a truck. I mean, that's what lawyers do. And when you think about it from the perspective of the massage therapist who may have no idea that what happened in that session with Deshaun Watson was something that crossed the line for which there could be appropriate and fair compensation, that's how they become aware of it. And the fact that all but three of them did not engage in sexual activity with Deshaun Watson tells you 
They objected. It tells you they had a problem with how he was behaving. It tells you that they do not go along with the idea that the massage leads to a happy ending. So, they, they look, I know they're trying to play the hand they've been dealt, but it's all the more reason why this should have been settled in April of last year when they got caught up in this idea, this goofy idea that we don't want to have an NDA. We don't want to have a non-disclosure agreement attached to this settlement so we can tell everybody that Deshaun didn't have to pay very much. Well, they should have just done the damn NDA and been done with it then. Then they could have had it done in October, November, at least all but four of the cases they could have had done. They should have done that. Now, good luck. Good luck settling these. If you even want to, good luck. I think, I I don't know. I don't know what it would take at this point, but if he was going to pay $100,000 each, October, November, that price has gone up. I don't know that another zero gets added, Chris, but that number goes up. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to try to sell it now. And I think, I think it, it prevents a settlement from happening. And this thing is going to hang around with 24 cases. Last point, and then we got to go. Yeah. 24 cases. This is going to last into 2024 and maybe beyond. I, it seems like it. I, I know. The Browns, I, I feel bad for the Browns fans. Yeah. Browns fans get mad Browns at me. Fans. I know. A, you guys shouldn't have to carry this burden around. I agree. For the next I feel bad years. for them, and I, I'm not going to lie. I feel bad for Kevin Stavansky, too. I do. I mean, I, I just feel like this was, this was not his doing, and he's in the middle of it. No, hey, now you got to coach the team. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for screwing up everything within the city and the organization. I'll coach the team. No problem. I mean, that's, that's, that's rough. There's going to be a cloud of uncertainty, barring a settlement, hovering over the Browns for the next two seasons minimum, maybe three seasons. They just don't deserve that. we got to take a break. The Philadelphia Eagles have both spoken up and done some tangible things to address the epidemic of gun violence in Philadelphia and beyond. We'll discuss that next on this Monday edition of PFT Live. You see what we're doing here at the Eagles? I'm trying to bring awareness to it, and it's a real thing, you know, and I know there are a lot of people um, out there in this community and in the world that that can relate to that, you know, and and I just, I just feel like I, I just wanted to own my impact with that because I know, um, I know it's something that we all feel and I know ultimately it impacts everybody. Everybody is impacted by it one way or another. I know everyone sitting here may have kids, they may have someone they love and um, it all matters. So whether that be just spreading love um, appreciate what you have, you know, but ultimately, you know, getting these, you know, getting this artillery out the streets um, and making true change, um, and that's something that we urge um, in all our communities, in the community of Philadelphia. Um, over 40 people passing away this weekend. I'm getting shot this weekend, excuse me. Um, it got to change. Jalen, that you were cognizant of your platform and is uh, that you wanted to go out of your way to 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 bring up, or is it the Eagles sort of fueling it, or is this? I think it's my I think it's my duty. I think it's my duty. Um, that's the least that I can do. This is the least that I can do. Is to try and bring awareness to it. Obviously, um, we all know what's going on. We see what's going on, but um, it starts with every one of us. Um, change is made um everybody has their own unique way that they can make change but ultimately what are you doing um to try and influence the right things to be done the right attitude by jalen hurts emerging as a leader on the field and off the field for the philadelphia eagles and uh those were comments he made on friday chris on saturday 14 people were shot in philadelphia 
There, there, we were talking about this during the break. There are so many mass shootings going on in the NFL, or not in the NFL, in the United States right now. You can't keep up with them. You can't keep track of them. I was watching Morning Joe before the show, and they talked about mass shooting in Chattanooga. It's like, oh, that was last weekend. Oh, wait, there was another one this weekend. Two straight weekends, mass shooting in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So, uh, it, it's look, there are no easy solutions, but it's good that people are willing to lend their voice their influence. The Eagles are having a gun buyback program today at Lincoln Financial Field in conjunction with the Philadelphia Police Department. $100 gift card, no questions asked. $100 payment, not a gift card, but no questions asked uh, for gun buyback. Just to try to get some of the artillery off the street, as Jalen Hurts said, Chris. It, it's crazy. It's it's insane, the whole gun thing. It's as radical as it gets. I mean, I don't, you know, sometimes people say it's conservative. I want to go, no, it's radical. We're going back in time to the Wild West to a point where if you say, if you look at a guy wrong, they're like, I'm going to get my six shooter out and you're dead. You looked at me wrong. You gave me the middle finger at a traffic light. You're dead. You said, screw you to me. You're dead. Like, that's normal. That's where we are. That's cool. And then just like guns are everywhere. Oh, you need a gun because you're pissed off here. I just, it's insane. It's, it's insane. There's no way to explain it. It's great for Jalen Hurts. He's the man. This is why Jalen Hurts is loved. This is why he's loved, because he's just an ultimate leader this way. He's got a great way about him. That was a great message. But, damn, this is a big-time uphill fight. It's insane. It really is. I I don't even – Jeffrey Lurie. It gets tired. I get tired of arguing it. Uh, Well, and and what – it's – look, it's dystopian. It just is. The idea that – there is a certain element of fear that you accept, a certain amount of risk, a certain amount of possibility, reality. However, small. But they have lawmakers on, on TV going screen. like, "This is I, I, this is my gun. This I'm going to do whatever I want with my gun." All right. I want to just. I hate that. I don't care. He's a jerk. That 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 that. Uh, yes, uh, politicians a jerk, and it's a horrible they, message. They, what a loser. They are working. Uh, sure they are to better reflect the will of the people. It really is amazing to me that 90% of the people want these things and it won't happen. Well, Jeffrey Lurie spoke out and I give him credit Yes, because more owners need to say specific concrete things. They need to have the moral courage and the financial courage. They can't be obsessed with, well, we may lose some of our season ticket holders because they disagree with this view. The key is this. Enough is enough. Assault weapons loaded with high-capacity magazines are a clear threat to public safety and should be banned, said Jeffrey Lurie. Research shows that if a federal ban was still in place for assault weapons, there would be 70% fewer mass shooting deaths. Additionally, a mandatory universal background check could have a significant impact on mass shootings by ensuring that these dangerous firearms are not getting into the wrong hands. These are things on which we should all agree. There is no need to have weapons of war. And now people argue they're really not weapons of war. They don't give people AR-15s when they go into battle. Okay, they give them something better. They give them something fully automatic. It's still a weapon of war. It's still something that is intended. It is designed. It is built to kill a lot of people quickly. No one needs to have that. I don't care what argument you make to me. No one needs to have that to defend their own property. Um, 18-year-olds should not have access to them. 
background checks should be a no-brainer. These are all things that should be no-brainer. Oh, no, but they're if not. You know, but deal deal where do you the draw no the line? They're 18 now. Well, we, we, they yeah. drink to 21. Yeah. We can make it 21. That, but that's the other thing you hear, and that's just, it's just stupid. It's one stupid point after another. It doesn't matter. It's money in their pockets, and they're going to bow down to the gun companies. That's what they'll do. I'm sick of it. And screw off all you politicians. There we you appreciate the Eagles saying what they had yes, to say. Do. And I'll, I'll leave the topic with this one point. A comedian posts a, a, a video whenever a mass shooting happens. And I can't remember the guy's name, but I remember the ultimate message. If you believe that you need an AR-15 to protect you from the government, you don't know how tanks work. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll have more PFT Live. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, it takes the pressure off the other guy, you know. Uh, like, I'm just say we're playing and, you know, most I probably take Slay because he's cornerback number one or whatever, and I go against him. And that gives another really time to receive to go against a cornerback number two. So, it takes pressure. Um, in my opinion, Smitty is a wide receiver one, and he going against a cornerback number two. Like, I expect Smitty to dominate, you know. So, um, just taking pressure off each one, each, each, each other. And even being on the same size, you know, uh, so you can't really double, or, you know, so just that, that's great having a, another great ride out beside you. That's A.J. Brown talking about his new teammate, Devontae Smith, two great receivers together on one team. Today's draft, the best receiving tandems currently in the National Football League. We've got a joint trivia question. We're going to work on this together, Chris. In 2018, two pairs of receiver teammates. 2018, two pairs of receiver teammates each had 100 or more receptions. Can you name them? I saw this like at the tail end of the break and the the, the pressure already started on me. Like, I, how, why am I drawing a blank? I, here? I, I can't. Like, all right, so let, let's think about this. 2018 – um, that, 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 that's, is, is Juju, Juju's in the league, right? That's the first one I was thinking with a bear, a, Juju's a, in a the league. and a B was there in Pittsburgh, right? Yes. I think we're on to them, that's a, right? We may be on to them. Okay. Pittsburgh Steelers. That's one. Well okay. done. All right. Well done. That, so, all right. So now the next one though, is where I'm really conflicted here. Do you think any of those 2018 Rams guys? In 2018, they, they had a Super Bowl team that year. They did. It was Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Right. I know. But I don't think Cup had 100 receptions I, in 2018. Mm, I don't think so either. I know. So uh, yeah. So uh, we're not answering yet. I'm just trying to think. Is there any other team we're missing? The Saints, well, of course, had Michael Thomas, but there was nobody else that got 100 receptions there, and, right? And 2018 was Mahomes' first year as a starter. Tyreek Hill plus whoever, and it wasn't – so we're running out of time. Well, I don't know who the other – give me a guess on the other one. Go ahead. You got anything for us here, Matt Casey? Anything? Got a guess for us? Anything? Who is it? We give. Who is it? Who is it? The Vikings. The Vikings, I guess, is what he's saying. Was it oh, Bill and Diggs? Oh, I know. We forget no, 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 Diggs no, no, no. was there. I just – I didn't register with me. Damn it. Cousins first year, they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. And they had 100 or more receptions. Diggs, what a horrible uh, fan you are. Jeez, you didn't yeah, know that? Awful. Jeez. All right, go ahead. Take the first pick. Best receiving duo currently. Okay. All right. That was good, though. I had fun with that exercise there. Um, my number one duo I'm going with is the one you saw last year. That's right. Jamar Chase, the Jamar Chase, arguably the best receiver in football. I think it's between him and Debo Samuel right off the bat. And then uh, Higgins. 
Uh, I mean, Higgins to me is a, is a mismatch. T. Higgins, as big as he is, they complement him per- perfectly. Chase, yeah, a little bit smaller, more explosive. Higgins, the big guy who can fly down the field but jump over people like we saw in the Super Bowl. To me, that's that'd be the one. If I had to play quarterback right now, I want those two as my, my duo. Even though they've never played together, you look at what Cooper Cup did last year statistically. You plug in Allen Robinson, yeah. who has been great with subpar quarterbacks his entire career. Now he teams up with Matthew Stafford. Give me Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson. Yeah, I don't think you can go wrong there. I mean, again, he, Cooper Cup like uh, just went to another level last year. And guess why? Guess why Cooper Cup went tonight? Oh, he actually had a quarterback and throwing the ball all over the field. Do whatever he wants. Goes to another level. So that was cool to see. Um, good one there. All right. I'm going to go to one. That's another one. Like you're saying, they haven't played together, but I'm expecting big things. Okay. Those squeaky little dolphin combination down there in Miami, Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle. I, I'm ex- I think maybe I'm as excited to see the unveiling of that duo, maybe even more than AJ Brown and Devonte Smith, just because of how quick and explosive. And of course that offense is going to have a lot of moving parts and people flying a lot of different ways. So I'll go Hill and Waddle in my second one. I'll go back to Minnesota. Stephon Diggs is gone, but Justin Jefferson, one of the best receivers in the NFL. Thielen still with some gas in the tank. That Kevin O'Connell offense, give me those two. Let's take a break. We'll do round three right after this. All right, one more round. Best receiving duos. Let's go, Chris. All right, this is where I'm. Uh, this is like this is as tough as it gets here. All right, my last one because I mean, man, there's some good ones here. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. I'm gonna go with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf though. I'm gonna take them. I'm gonna go Lockett and Metcalf. Uh, hey, you got a little Met- Metcalf's a freak of nature. Lockett, small jitterbug, flies around. I'll go with those two. See, I factor in the quarterback. You're taking that a part of it. You're not going to see the full potential sure, of the players not, right. if they're not getting. So we don't even know who the hell the quarterback's going to be in Seattle. That's why I didn't even put them on my list. I will go and and look. I thought Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis sure. four touchdown catches by Davis. He's got potential that he's in the process of reaching. I thought Steelers Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, sure. but who's the quarterback? I'll go Raiders. Devontae Adams wow. and Hunter Renfro, wow. especially when you throw in Darren Waller. You got Derek Carr, you got Waller as a big target there, so it makes it a hell of a lot easier for those two receivers You're to You're going to take Adams Renfro. and Renfro over Evans and Godwin? I'm, I'm surprised by that. Or Keenan Allen Godwin's, and Mike Williams? Godwin's, Godwin's not healthy. Okay. We don't, know, right. well, we don't know when Godwin's going to be healthy. All right. All right. I just did. just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to make sure. I was just clarifying for you. But, no, you're right. I mean, that's going to be dangerous with that offense, too. You hate Devontae Adams, I don't. What's that? It's that simple. Yeah. I said you hate Devontae Adams, and I don't. That's <laughs> it is that simple. Show. Yes, you're You right. have no time for rebuttal. I don't we like you. Done. You're a jerk. Bye-bye. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal And when you gamble, betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.